Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey there, friends and neighbors. You're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 61, Non-CPAP Options. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. If entering the third year of the pandemic wasn't bad enough for your sleep, Many of you may have been told at some point you have sleep disordered breathing and are unable or unwilling to use a CPAP device. Now what? One of the most frequent causes of disrupted sleep and feeling poorly rested upon waking is sleep disordered breathing. Recent changes have made access to the gold standard treatment for this condition harder than ever. But historical acceptance and adherence to this treatment was already abysmal. In this episode, we'll take a look at some non-surgical treatment options for the management of sleep disordered breathing if the gold standard positive airway pressure devices are unavailable or declined. In June of 2021, one of the two major manufacturers of CPAP and BPAP devices issued a recall affecting about 3 million of their active users. The company has been prohibited by the FDA from distributing any new devices to customers until the completion of the recall. This recall put tremendous strain on the other major manufacturer and several smaller PAP device makers from the increased demand. Furthermore, The same pandemic-related supply chain constraints impacting every industry that uses semiconductors has also hit the medical device industry hard, especially those makers of CPAP and BPAP devices for the treatment of sleep-disordered breathing. And lastly, logistical problems related to the blockage of canals, ships waiting in ports to be unloaded, and the labor shortage in the shipping industry has only exacerbated the problems of device access. What we end up with is an unprecedented shortage of positive airway pressure devices, the gold standard treatment for sleep-disordered breathing. This has caused significant anxiety among those of us in the clinical sleep world, an increasing number of people needing care, and fewer and fewer resources to do so thanks to this device shortage. Whether somebody has been impacted by the recall and can't wait for their affected device to be replaced, or a freshly diagnosed individual waiting to start treatment in the first place, millions and millions of individuals have had their sleep thrown for a loop over the last half year. And whether waiting for a brand new device or replacement device for the recall the average wait for a PAP device has gone from days less than a year ago to now having to wait several months to get a device. In the U.S., we are not used to waiting or rationing, and the grim specter of death panels looms large. Thankfully, there have always existed several alternatives to positive airway pressure for the treatment of sleep disorder breathing, and several new technologies have also emerged in recent years. Even before the invention of CPAP in the late 1980s, surgical options dominated the treatment of sleep apnea. In fact, to this day, surgery remains the gold standard treatment for young children with sleep apnea in the form of adenotonsillectomy, since the disproportionate growth of this tonsillar tissue in the otherwise still small but growing airways of young children can obstruct their breathing during sleep, 
and their surgery is the most effective way to fix it. One and done. There are also several surgical options today for adults, too, that may be suffering from sleep apnea, some more successful than others, some meant as standalone treatments, though they tend not to normalize the condition, and others intended to improve the function and tolerability of positive airway pressure as a complement to the device. Today, however, we'll be talking about several of the non-surgical alternatives to positive airway pressure and the management of obstructive sleep apnea. These are each prescription-only FDA-regulated devices here in the U.S., so if you'd like to find out more, you can reach out to your closest accredited sleep center or board-certified sleep dentist with the links in the episode description. The first category of devices we'll explore today goes by a few names. Oral appliances, mandibular advancement devices, mandibular repositioning devices, etc. Oral appliances may also apply to a category of devices called tongue retention devices, which are quite unpopular. For the most part, we're talking about custom-fit mouth guards, made from an acrylic or polymer and cast by a dentist. There are two pieces, one that fits just over the upper teeth and one that fits just over the lower teeth, as well as something to connect the two. This could be a piston-like bar or fin-like blocks that trap the lower piece in front of the upper piece. These devices work by mechanically opening the airway. Whereas positive airway pressure devices use the flow of air to hold open the otherwise collapsible airway, oral appliances thrust the jaw forward relative to the rest of the face, pulling with it the tongue. The upper piece functions like an anchor, and the lower piece pushes the jaw forward by the teeth. Even when the jaw is moved forward just a few millimeters, a fraction of an inch, that's enough to significantly improve breathing during sleep. There are a couple dozen oral appliances that have achieved FDA-cleared status for the treatment of snoring and mild to moderate obstructive sleep apnea. And this is key, because while the mechanics may be similar, over-the-counter boil and bite and devices invented by your own personal dentist almost certainly have not been shown to help. When it comes to treating a serious medical condition that increases your risk of death, evidence that a treatment actually works is literally vital. A recent meta-analysis, a study of studies, summarized how effective these mandibular advancement devices can be. One study showed that the number of times somebody snores while wearing these devices dropped by about 278 times every hour. Not only snores, but they also reduce the number of times someone breathes ineffectively or stops breathing by nearly 14 times each hour on average, and reduces the number of times their oxygen levels significantly drop by nearly 13 times each hour. All this improvement in breathing leads to significant improvements in sleep quality and daytime function. But there are key differences in efficacy between custom FDA devices and non-customized or boil-and-bite variety devices, and adjustable devices outperform devices that are fixed in their jaw positioning. These devices are mostly curative for mild sleep apnea. They work great for moderate sleep apnea, and even those with severe sleep apnea, though technically off-label for most of these devices, even those with severe OSA can also significantly benefit from an oral appliance. Even though the likelihood of getting into the normal range is low, it's certainly better than no treatment. So if you'd consider something like this as an acceptable treatment or want to learn more, you can find the closest board-certified or qualified dentist. Check the show notes for the link to search in your area. The next category of devices has been around for a while, and while there are non-prescription versions available, they pale in comparison. We're talking about sleep positioning therapy devices. They improve sleep by helping to keep you off of your back. You may have had the experience of waking up more on your back than when you were sleeping in other positions, and you wouldn't be alone. This is because when we lay supine on our backs, gravity is more directly tugging on the tongue, pulling it no longer down to our toes like when we are standing, but straight to the back of the throat when we are laying flat. This positional effect means that the airway is blocked much more easily when we are sleeping on our backs than in the non-supine positions. So the less we sleep on our backs, the less blocked our airways will be. 
There are some estimates that close to 90% of individuals suffering obstructive sleep apnea have this positional component. In many patients, it may be twice as bad on the back compared to sleeping on the sides. In my patients specifically, I see probably only 5% of those with sleep apnea who exclusively have sleep apnea when sleeping on their backs, with not a hint of it when they sleep in any other position. So most individuals with sleep apnea would benefit from staying off their backs, and in some cases, it may completely cure them of their sleep apnea. There are now a couple devices approved by the FDA to treat sleep apnea by keeping wearers off of their backs. Two of them do so by the same mechanism, just worn on different parts of the body. They both start to vibrate once someone rolls onto the back and increase the intensity of that vibration to essentially annoy the sleeper enough to turn onto their side. And I can personally attest that most of the time when that device buzzes, it doesn't noticeably wake me up, and the studies show that I'm not alone in this. These devices are approved to treat positional sleep apnea when the individual suffers fewer than 20 breathing events per hour on average in the non-supine positions, regardless of how bad it is when they're laying on their back. This metric of severity, the apnea hypopnea index, was reduced in one study by 68% with the device, with users going from spending half the night on their backs to 0% on their back on average. Another study found only 43% reduction in sleep apnea severity, but that may be because the users went from spending 40% of the night on their backs down to just over 17% of the time. Another study found adherence over time remained good, with over 71% of users still sticking with the treatment after 6 months, dropping their average sleep time on their backs to just 3% of the night, leading to a significant reduction in daytime sleepiness. One common critique of these prescription sleep positioning devices is that they cost a lot more money than DIY solutions. And you may have heard of this one before, sewing a tennis ball in the back of a t-shirt. The idea is the same. If you make sleeping on the back uncomfortable, you'll spend less time on your back. But lost in this generalization is first, the fact that if it's too uncomfortable, will that turn people off from using it in the first place compared to a more subtle and gentle approach? And second, does that tennis ball technique even work? One study looked at this specifically, comparing a prescription positioning device using vibration versus the tennis ball technique. I was actually surprised to see that users of the tennis ball technique were effectively cured of their sleep apnea about 43% of the time. That's amazing. Unfortunately, it was so uncomfortable that only a little more than 40% of users could stick with it regularly. Alternatively, the prescription device cures sleep apnea in 68% of users versus 43% of the tennis ball technique. Furthermore, sleep quality was significantly improved with the prescription device and wasn't at all with the tennis ball technique, and overall adherence was much better at 76%. That's an effective cure rate overall of about 52% with the prescription device, compared to only about 18% with the tennis ball technique once taken into account whether someone will actually use the treatment or not. So, not perfect, but really good for those with a substantial role of body position in their sleep apnea. These devices are sold directly by the manufacturers, as well as some durable medical equipment providers but all require a prescription. And unfortunately, while they can improve sleep in most sufferers of sleep apnea, they're likely only an effective standalone treatment in a select few. So please check with your sleep provider to find out if you may be a good candidate for positional therapy. The next category currently only has one device FDA authorized, which was discussed back in episode 53. It's neuromuscular electrical stimulation. This treatment makes the most sense out of any option, certainly more than CPAP does, but unfortunately, the current data shows support only for a limited number of people with sleep-disordered breathing. Specifically, we know that the major reason why people have sleep apnea is because of what happens exclusively during sleep that's not affecting them during wakefulness, and that's the relaxation of muscles in the upper airway. Once we fall asleep and the throat muscles and tongue get too loose, the airway starts to cave in on itself, leaving insufficient breathing room, 
leading to all sorts of disruption of sleep quality, metabolism, and cardiovascular consequences. So it makes sense to combat sleep apnea by improving the tension in these airway muscles, and that's what this device promises to do. And specifically, it has been shown not to improve the strength of the tongue muscle in terms of max exertion, but rather to improve the endurance of the tongue, helping the tongue work like a marathon runner during sleep, not a bodybuilder. The proof of concept of this technology is astounding, and there are a lot of questions surrounding how the intervention of electrically stimulating the tongue can be adjusted to optimize the tongue's performance during sleep. Longer stimulation, more frequent stimulation, different frequencies of stimulation, different intensities of stimulation, different protocols of stimulation over time, and much of this is already being looked at. But for now, this singular device, called the Excite OSA, is FDA authorized for the treatment of the milder end of the sleep disorder breathing spectrum, including simple snoring, and for those with an apnea hypopnea index less than 15 events per hour. Studies show that after six weeks, 90% of users responded with a significant reduction in snoring, including reducing moderate snoring by 41% and loud snoring by 54%. The apnea hypopnea index, this metric of sleep apnea severity, was reduced by 52% with 20 minutes of daytime use of the tongue stimulator. Significant oxygen changes were also reduced by 50%. And it's not just sleep effects, but benefits that extend beyond the bed. Quality of life also significantly improved, and daytime sleepiness improved to the same extent that we normally see with prescription stimulant drugs. I'm pretty stoked about the possibilities for this technology. However, for the time being, the benefits, and thus the indication for use of the device, is just for those with milder sleep disorder breathing. And it's prescription only, so please check with your local board-certified sleep provider to find out more if you're interested. The next category of PAP alternatives has a couple of brands out now, after the original brand closed operations during the pandemic. It's called nasal EPAP, or nasal expiratory positive airway pressure. The notion is just like CPAP, but rather than have a motor pushing air to generate the pressure, nasal EPAP slows down the release of exhaled breath, causing a traffic jam of air waiting to get out, and thus a degree of back pressure in the airway, helping to stabilize it and hold it open. The first device, no longer available, did this with a couple stickers that went over the nostrils and functioned almost like a one-way valve. They were single-use only because of the adhesive on the stickers, and were a bit cost-prohibitive. The newer devices are more 3D, making them robust and reusable. They insert like little prongs into the nostrils. And with all these devices, there really isn't just a one-way valve, but rather, some ports that are always open and allow breath to freely flow in and out so you're never truly unable to exhale through the nose. However, most of the ports are covered by a valve that swings open during inhalation without any resistance, but slams shut during exhalation, leading to the back pressure buildup. And as simple as the mechanics of these devices are, they do work. Though, like many of the examples, work well for the milder end of the sleep disorder breathing spectrum and fall short of being effective enough for more significant cases. Several studies show a responder rate of 70-93%, to meaning that some people don't respond at all, but most have at least some degree of improvement in their sleep apnea from these devices. The apnea hypopnea index, this measurement of sleep apnea severity, improves in most studies anywhere from 38-45%, to with only one study showing up to a 70% reduction in some patients. Oxygen fluctuations tend to be reduced by about 32%, and daytime sleepiness was cut nearly in half in one study. So nasal EPAP is low-tech, no wires or electricity needed, but can be quite effective for some people, FDA cleared for treatment of mild to moderate sleep apnea. They are prescription only, so if you're interested in nasal EPAP as an option, check with your local board-certified sleep specialist. The last alternative to CPAP I wanted to discuss today is another exciting technology. There was one predecessor briefly on the market, and now only a single manufacturer of the technology, which sounds like the opposite of CPAP. 
is called INAP, or intermittent negative airway pressure, as opposed to the positive airway pressure of CPAP and BiPAP machines, and hospital ventilators for that matter. The negative pressure means that a vacuum force is applied to the airway, and really just to the anterior mouth specifically. What this does is to pull the tongue and soft palate with suction closer to the teeth, leaves all that space behind the tongue all the way down the airway and the nasopharynx behind the soft palate, nice and open to breathe smoothly and normally through the nose. The eye of INAP is another key feature. Unlike PAP devices, which tend to constantly push air down the throat to hold it open, negative airway pressure can be applied intermittently. The vacuum pump suctions the tongue and palate in a forward-sitting position, and once a seal is made, the pump turns off. Only when the seal is broken, such as when you open your mouth, move the mouth too much, or the tongue and palate starts to slide backwards again, then the vacuum pump turns back on again to pull the contents of the mouth back to the front to open up the airway once again. A good functioning pump only needs to be activated less than 15 or 20% of the time. And when I've used this device, the pump was only active for 1% of the night. So users or bed partners concerned about the noise need not worry. The pump is quiet. It has a muffler that will dampen it even further, and the pump is rarely turned on compared to the total amount of time the device is working to help you breathe. Negative airway pressure is one of the only non-PAP treatments for sleep apnea that's also FDA cleared to treat severe as well as mild to moderate degrees of sleep disorder breathing. Studies show a reduction in the apnea hypopnea index of about 73%, with significant drops of oxygen levels reduced by 67%. Ideally, a treatment should normalize or effectively cure the individual of the problem. And that's for the most part what is achieved when CPAP or BiPAP is used. With negative airway pressure, it's not clear what the cure rate for severe sleep apnea is, but over three quarters of users with severe OSA were able to get their apnea hypopnea index less than 20 events per hour. That's significant, but not quite as good as one would hope. But like other new technologies, there is active investigation to figure out the optimal mouthpiece to deliver the vacuum force and hold the airway open, as well as the optimal negative pressure to do so. Currently, the device is only FDA authorized for a single fixed vacuum pressure, and it is reasonable to expect that different mouths will benefit from different vacuum pressures, just like different airways benefit from different positive pressures. This device is again prescription only, so if you're curious and would like to find out more, check with your local board-certified sleep medicine provider. So to summarize, the most common disruptor of sleep, leading to symptoms like insomnia, daytime sleepiness, and just feeling poorly rested, not to mention all sorts of physical and mental health consequences, is sleep-disordered breathing. We've discussed this several times before, including episodes 40 and 46. The most conservative estimates place about 1 billion people worldwide with sleep-disordered breathing. And large studies of thousands of individuals using the most accurate sleep test indicate that over 72% of adults over the age of 35 have sleep apnea. So chances are, you either already have it, or you will get it in your lifetime. And these symptoms don't always illuminate the cause, ranging from anxiety and depression, to ADHD, to metabolic syndrome, to cardiovascular disease. So if you're not waking, feeling well-rested most days, and something about your daytime function just doesn't feel like it's supposed to, you should probably look more closely at your sleep, and specifically, how effective your breathing may be during sleep. But recent large-scale forces have made access to the primary treatment very difficult for most people, and wait times lasting months and potentially longer. While CPAP and BiPAP, continuous and bi-level positive airway pressure, remain the gold standard in the treatment of sleep disorder breathing, availability or unwillingness to use these devices should encourage us to pivot and evaluate other treatment options, both surgical and non-surgical. Most of these treatments are only indicated to treat the milder end of the spectrum of sleep disorder breathing. But even for severe sleep apnea, any reduction in severity of the disease and symptoms is preferable to no treatment at all. Today we discussed oral appliances, specifically mandibular advancement or repositioning devices. 
On average, they significantly improve breathing during sleep as well as improve sleepiness and daytime function. Customized and adjustable devices delivered by a board-certified sleep dentist are more effective than off-the-shelf versions. We also discuss sleep positioning therapy devices, which can help keep you off of your back by buzzing you with some gentle vibration. While the DIY sew a tennis ball on the back of your t-shirt technique may work for a small number of people, head-to-head comparisons show that the prescription devices are not only significantly more effective, but also more comfortable, more likely to be used, and actually improve sleep quality, which the tennis ball technique did not. We discussed again the device mentioned back in episode 53 using neuromuscular electrical stimulation. This endurance training for the tongue is the only FDA-authorized treatment for sleep apnea that is never used during sleep. Just 20 minutes during the daytime is all it takes for results. It is currently authorized to treat snoring in those with an apnea hypopnea index lower than 15 per hour. We discussed nasal EPAP, or expiratory positive airway pressure. These nostril plugs are as low-tech as you can get in the management of sleep disorder breathing, and they work. They may cut oxygen changes in apnea hypopnea index by over 40%, and are super portable, able to be used on planes, when camping, etc. And lastly, we discussed intermittent negative airway pressure. By using a vacuum pump, the tongue and soft palate can be suctioned into position closer towards the front of the mouth, aka their natural waking position, preventing their collapse backwards into the airway, blocking off vital oxygen delivery. Once the vacuum seal is created, the pump turns off for the vast majority of the night, and is very quiet when it does turn on. Unlike other PAP alternatives, negative airway pressure is FDA cleared to treat the severe end of sleep apnea as well as mild to moderate. So if you find yourself impacted by the recall, semiconductor shortages, logistical and shipping delays, or have tried and failed or just despised the idea of using CPAP or BPAP, have no fear. In addition to these several surgical options that can be delivered by a board-certified sleep otolaryngologist, these other devices have proven their worth in the management of sleep disorder breathing. So check with your local board-certified sleep medicine provider to find out more. If you haven't already, go check out wellrestedmd.com day. We can get a special download, a totally free cheat sheet. In this day of the life of the well-rested download, you'll find examples and timing of several morning and evening routines, the evidence-based best practices for wakeful days and restful nights. So head over to wellrestedmd.com day to see these best practices in action. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes, leave a review, and head over to wellrestedmd.com for more information, including the option to sign up for email updates. Thanks for listening.